get it. Thank you so much for joining me in the show. If I'm 25 then and I'm telling myself that, first I would say, hey, information security is going to be its own thing because 25 years ago that wasn't the case. It was just IT. Okay, we're on fire. The building's on fire. What do I need to do first? Well, first you need to get everybody out of the building. It goes back to that that continuous monitoring capability that you're striving to get to if you don't already have that in place. You guys make everything secure for us. I'm like, nope, try again. I advise you on how you should be doing it. I do not have that locus of control. My goal is to help you do this thing you're doing in a more secure and compliant way so that we can continue to be a business and all continue to get paychecks as well as not open ourselves up for liability and also in the business. Yeah, I would I would be what Professor X or whatever and I just <laughs> put on the helmet and I'm like, okay guys, let's straighten up our thinking here because we're we're doing things that are very risky. So that's that's what I do. Awesome. I just became the boss of everybody and all decisions go through. Fantastic. Hi everyone. Thanks for tuning into our Scale to Zero show. I'm Purushottam, co-founder and CTO of CloudAnix. Scale to Zero is a forum where we collect questions from curious security professionals and invite security experts to learn about their journey and also to get these questions answered. Our goal is to build a community where we learn about security together and leave no security questions unanswered. Well, with that, let's get started into today's episode. Uh, for today, we have Garrett Smiley. Garrett is the CISO at Circo, uh, where he oversees governance, risk management, and compliance, and overall cybersecurity efforts. Uh, he built the risk management program from ground up. Prior to, prior to Circo, he was the CISO at uh, General Dynamics Information Technology. And during his career, he has worked with many large security teams to design, implement, and scale security programs. Garrett, uh, Thank you so much for joining me in the show. Thanks for having me. Lovely. Uh, so the way we do the uh, episode is we have two sections. First uh, section focuses on security questions. And the second, uh, the fun one is the uh, rapid fire section. So let's start with the security uh, question section. And I, I want to start with risk management in general. Uh, most of the, most organizations follow a risk matrix where they categorize uh, their risks by critical, high, medium, low, into different categories, right? And because of business needs, sometimes the critical and highs are addressed, but medium, minor, lows are not addressed. And we received this question from a fintech, a uh, growing, fast-growing fintech startup. They They want to understand, like, the items which get into the security debt how should they address the security debt? So what are your thoughts on security debt? Uh, how do you define them? And how do you measure security debt as well? And once you have the security debt uh, lined up, how do you prioritize them? Well, I, I guess first you would want to define what's meant by security debt, right? Um, I think most of us are familiar with the concept of technical debt, uh, which can mm -hmm. be related. Um, but in my mind, security debt are risks that you've taken on with some understanding of the risk um, that ideally you wouldn't take on. Like you, a, a, a good example would be, um, you know, 
like application whitelisting or two-factor mm -hmm. authentication. There's a difference between what well, we deployed it versus well, we fully implemented it or we mm -hmm. fully implemented it with no exceptions. That would be kind of how I would define uh, security debt. So if you're if you're like, well, we've deployed it everywhere, but we haven't implemented it over here because of tensions or constraints related to that particular business focus or whatever the reason or and or potential excuse may be. So that's how I would define security debt. As far as okay. tackling that and prioritizing that, um, you have to have context with how it impacts the business. So you can say something is, you know, and, and generally the context when we say criticals and highs and don't pay as much attention to the mediums and lows, that tends to be more of kind of a vulnerability scanning thing. But when you're talking about risks for the organization, you know, one, you want to say, well, how did you arrive at determining that that thing, whatever it is, is critical versus high or it doesn't even matter. I mean, is it relevant? Mm -hmm. it, it really comes back down to how does carrying this security debt mm -hmm. present liability for the organization and how likely is it that that liability will be realized? How likely is this area to be exploited? So, mm -hmm. for example, um, if I have something that's, you know, air gapped and sitting in the middle of the desert, physical security is a lot more important there than it would be other places. Conversely, okay. if somebody says, well, you know, do you want to place a prioritization value on getting two factor put in place um, ahead of something else? I might say, well, maybe that edges out application whitelisting or maybe you know we're talking about the value of getting edr in place if you um don't have you know mdr uh for example um mm -hmm. it, it all has to do with the type of organization you work for um the the attack surfaces that are in play so it, it's very contextual and I'm, and I'm probably not really giving a very specific answer but that is the answer i mean you you have to work with the leadership and the movers and shakers in your organization to help them better understand the risk that's posed by security debt and then act on it um, and roadmap it um, and put the prioritizations in place to where you're going to tackle this, then that, then that. Um, because as we all know, resources are not unbounded. Um, and that tends to be the biggest thing, right? It's not just, well, hey, here's a blank check. Never seen that. It doesn't exist. I'm sorry. Um, and even if you do have money to do things, it still requires people, right? So, um, and very often, uh, most of our people are uh, already at three to 400%. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just reality, right? Something's got to give. So um, it, it has to be done in partnership, I guess is the short answer. So. Thank So I like two things that you mentioned. One is the context, right? It's always about context. Uh, as you mentioned, if it is an air gap deployment, then you have a different set of priorities versus you have you have a web app uh, facing end users, right? So that's one. And then working in partnership with other teams. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a good segue to my next question. So often uh, security teams work with other teams to get uh, things implemented, let's say, right? And often when it comes to business growth, security is seen as a roadblock. Uh, so 
how can security teams work with other business units uh, uh, in the organization so that they they help in increasing the revenue or in improving the bottom line well um i would i would say it's probably worse than that if i'm honest and what i mean is people say oh well security is a roadblock well if nothing's going through security and security is not being used as a gate we're not a roadblock we're just ignored we're marginalized you're just pushed mm-hmm. off to the side so it is generally worse than that but to answer your question um security understands that we absolutely have to work with others because our our role is risk advisory if we're completely blunt about it at the end of the day we are not administratively in charge of the systems that need to be you know configured in a more hardened way or need need to have agents put on them or whatever it may be that's IT operations or that's cloud ops or whoever it is so of course we have to work with them because of and appropriately so separation of duties we should not be in charge of the estate that we're trying to provide oversight and governance for it's just doesn't make any sense so mm-hmm. yeah we're not in that position and, and I'm not arguing that we should be so without that partnership and and if you don't have a good working relationship with these groups quite frankly they're not going to give you the time of day they're just not there there has to be a motivating factor on the part of those that you're working with and for me you know my staff um I, you know i'm kind of i've been kind of focusing my examples on things that are a little bit more technically operationally focused but you know i have to do the same thing with other departments and be used when the topic is not a technical topic particularly mm-hmm. it may be something that I'm trying to get them to operationalize bake into their muscle memory and their daily tasks in procurement or in hr to do do a thing more securely or with less risk whatever that may be whether it's you know vetting a supplier or onboarding uh you know a new employee um mm-hmm. but it still requires those relationships that have to be established and maintained through rapport um mm-hmm. and you have to care about what they care about in other words what their pain points are is what they care about and what their pain points aren't they don't care about. this is just human nature so if you're like oh, i don't want to take the time to learn that oh you don't want to have rapport you don't want to get anything done that's a great way to go about it so that's kind of what's critical we we have to be in the we have to be in the business of um rapport building and relationship establishment and maintenance uh mm-hmm. but i will say that that'll only get you so far if your tone from the top doesn't show any value or any deference to being secure and compliant so both really have to be in place um right and then you would probably say well that sounds like you need to do more more rapport building efforts and more rapport maintaining efforts with senior execs and the board and it's an ongoing thing right right so. yeah so there are two things again right that you highlighted one is the motivation of the teams to work with the security team and even the security team's motivation to work with the other teams and uh, messaging from the top right 
that uh, whether how much priority or how much focus they pay to security so this touches mm-hmm. a little bit on the culture of the company right uh, so often we have seen that culture is what drives organizations and teams to work together and uh, every company has a unique culture it can be engineering sales or security driven so as a security leader what what methods would you recommend to sort of bring awareness and also to build a security centric culture and mindset in an organization well um we do what we can um that is an ongoing challenge i think if i'm honest about it uh where we have little excuse is definitely within our own team so i i i like to start there because a lot of times people understandably but i think incorrectly um think of culture in an organization as a monolith and that is just simply not true it's not true um there may be a pervasive culture that you find in a lot of places but the culture within my infosec team is extremely healthy why well we're very <laughs> deliberate about who we hire uh when we hire we are just as concerned about um capability to learn things problem solving things of that nature as we are the fit in how this individual is going to be able to traverse um dealing with difficult people let's be honest with it um, mm-hmm. sometimes we're the difficult people i understand that <laughs> but a lot of times others are the difficult people and they're like yeah we're just not doing that that's not a priority for us we don't care about it and we know that that's wrong headed uh but you mm-hmm. still have to deal with that you know it's like working in a hospital and you say hey hey nurse every every patient you have is going to be awesome and they're they're not going to throw their their lunch tray at you and you're never going to have any problem well, no that's ridiculous right you say that like you're like no you're going to have some awful patients absolutely awful patients you're going to have to learn how to deal with that it's just part of it um so yeah it it, it goes back to that that rapport building and making sure that you're you're continuously doing this and explaining explaining your motivations helps and and i have found that with some of the most difficult customers i have had explain to them I'll paraphrase hey my goal here is not to be a jerk mhm that may be a byproduct of this and they'll laugh at me i go <laughs> but that's not my goal my goal is to help you do this thing you're doing in a more secure and compliant way so that we can continue to be a business and all continue to get paychecks as well as not open ourselves up for liability and also in the business that's it right. period i said i'm not trying to get in your way of you doing what you need to do and you executing your mission i'm simply trying to get you to do your mission in a more secure and compliant way not because I'm bored. Makes sense. Because there's a real consequence to not doing it that way. Mhm. So. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh you touched upon one area around hiring. I want to double click on that a little bit. Uh so there are several teams even in security, right? And uh say you're a company of 50 people and you're growing and you're either in fintech or healthcare where you deal with a lot of PII, PHI data. So mm-hmm. in that case how do you set up your security organization uh what comes first who do you ha- hire and how do you hire 
Uh, do you have any recommendations on that? Well, I'll answer the question broadly. Um, I, I think you're correct when you say that the vertical that you're in is probably going to have some influence there. And, and it would, <laughs> but I would also say that your organizational structure, how, how big your budget is, and how much you have to rely on external outsourced third parties to kind of, mm -hmm. you know, give that full staff augment picture. All that's in play. But generically speaking, if you're starting from scratch and you're like, well, where do we start? You have to be able to react. So when stuff goes sideways, I need to have people, you know, that are kind of doing that sock analyst incident response, those types of roles. Because if I don't have that in place, when something's going bad, oh, yeah, yeah great. Somebody's exfilling all our data. Are we even in a position to respond to that? No, we're not. Okay, well, we're totally screwed. Great. Awesome. Thanks. You've got to be able to react first. And so that was one of the first programs that I stood up and put shape to when I came here to Circo five years ago, because it was the first and most important thing that needed to be done. Um, mm -hmm. And there were some really good elements that were already in place, but it really needed to be kind of better codified and pulled together. And everyone needed to have a better understanding of, okay, when, when an incident occurs, we all understand our role and what swim lane we have in, in, the, in the predefined workflow. It's like, it's like foreign policy. You better know what you're going to do before stuff goes down. Because if you don't, <laughs> it's going to go really bad. Okay. Right. Um, and just establishing that muscle memory around, no, 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 no. That's not your role. You need to do this, you need to inform this person, and we need to put structure to it so that we just don't even think about it when an incident goes down and we tackle it. Um, so, you know, that was the first thing. And then coming after that, it's like, well, we need to get a handle on our attack surface, so vulnerability management, standing up a program there. So, you know, I, I could go on and on, but I think you 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 get the idea there that you, you've got to get your your hands around the throat of it so to speak. I know it's somewhat violent imagery, but I, I don't mean it violently. I'm just saying you, you got to get it, get it, get a handle on it, right? So incident <laughs> response is where you start, and then you start taking a look at vulnerability management. And vulnerability management is going to point out the things like, hey, is, is our asset governance good or does it totally suck? By the way, in most organizations, it totally sucks. You know, like, okay, well, we need to really shine a flashlight on the cockroaches there and say we've got to do better because InfoSec cannot help you secure what you aren't even aware of that you have. And that we aren't aware of what you have. So it, it goes back to that, that continuous monitoring capability that you're striving to get to if you don't already have that in place. Um, so anyway, I could go on, but I think you get the idea. That, that's kind of how I approach it, just from a, okay, we're on fire. The building's on fire. What do I need to do first? Well, first you need to get everybody out of the building. Uh, mm -hmm. Then you need to call the fire department. Then you need to have them hose the building down or whatever they're right. using. You know. right, right. That's yeah. the steps, right? You're like, okay, well, we got to start with safety. And then and then we have to you know, start triaging and getting things under control. And then we can put together our plan of, well, you know, what started the fire and right. so on and so forth. So yeah, yeah. the analysis after the event. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, that that makes sense. Uh, one question related to that is, let's say once you uh, hire uh, security engineers 
generally every team does a goal setting activity right how so how do you define success for security team members and uh, what metrics or kpis do you uh, do you use for that uh, let's say you are planning for 3 months or 6 months or 12 months or 24 months plan well that's a good question um i i would say that that we I'm not I'm stammering here a little bit. I'm not super wild about KPIs. Just okay, full disclosure. Uh the reason mm-hmm. I'm not super wild about them is because they outside of something that's contractually bound uh which really kind of forces some honesty on this control costs x and requires y people. Doing doing KPIs to me is a bit of a waste of time because if you're like well okay. i've put in, if i put in a request where i need 10 people to cover this area and i only have 3 and i think you understand what i'm saying there uh <laughs> thing, things where um you you can honestly bound against performance for an individual um i i think that's fine um generally we tend to do those things along the am- amount of time it takes to address tickets and things of that nature um mm-hmm. but but it can be it can be challenging if we're honest right so do i have kpis in place for where i'm leveraging third parties um where we we've really bounded it contractually yeah i don't tend to do kpis for internal people because if they're shouldering a double workload it it doesn't make sense right the data i get back from that makes it look as if they're not doing their job when literally they're doing the job of two or three people so yeah i'm resistant to that one thing we do a a, a lot more of is kris um which is okay. not the same thing you know e for performance and the r for risk but we do kris cuz you know what you what you measure you pay attention to and what you pay attention to in theory has the tendency of improving um and and there i've actually seen a lot of improvement because you know senior executives don't like bad reports and it yeah. can be motivating you know and i'm like hey why why spend all your time trying to hide this why don't we spend our energy on trying to fix it especially if it's going to be about the same amount of effort so uh yeah so oh, i, I, I like get the value the... get the value of KPIs but it, for me if if you know that your your staff augment is not where it needs to be it's you get the data and you come back with it and you're like so what does that tell me and it's like it tells me that I wasted time doing this when I already know what the problem is you need more people mm-hmm. you know if you want to hit a all all tickets are closed in 5 seconds measurement I'm like yeah we can do that but I don't know that you're ready for the bill right anyway yeah <laughs> yeah so i like the uh, uh kri like uh, key risk indicator right in a way you're trying to find out how the team is uh, performing when it comes to addressing risks uh maybe that is more accurate to measure security teams performance rather than using the well, traditional the, kpi the, the the interesting thing about kris is what it what it shows you is it shows mm-hmm. you where where risk is shall we say accumulating for lack of a better word across the entire organization 
Now, in some instances, it may be the IT ops folks that are not keeping up with the Joneses. Um, in, in some in some instances, it may be infosec. But you know, we have KRIs against uh, phishing simulations. So that's okay. like that's the end users, right? So if they <laughs> really suck wind on one campaign and they do better in one metric over here, but not so good on this metric. It, it the, the information is varied. Really what it does is it shows you areas where you probably should focus and see if you can change the behaviors. Um, sometimes it's a lot easier to change the behaviors because it's just a matter of you're taking too long or, or you're not following through on this process in the way that you should in you know, mm -hmm. things like fishing campaigns. It's a little bit more nuanced because they're the main reason why they're clicking on links and entering credentials is because they're going too fast and they're not paying attention. Um, right. And right. trying to trying to fix that behavior is a lot harder, as I think most security professionals can attest to. Right, right. Then following a specific indicator. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, so there are many things I learned, especially the KRI. That's something I, I had never thought about. I, that can be a, an approach to uh, assessing team members' uh, like overall success rate, right? So yeah, um, thank you so much for for sharing these amazing insights. It was very helpful. Uh, here are a few things which stood out for me. Uh, the first one is priority of security debt is always context-driven. Uh, businesses should reevaluate the risks depending on liability or exploitability of it and how it applies to the business. Second one is Building a security-centric culture always depends on two aspects. First is the messaging from the leadership or the execs, and the other one is how motivated the team is to uh, how motivated the team is in general. Uh, third point is KPIs may not be the best metric to determine success of security team members. Uh, the more realistic metric could be KRI, where R stands for risk. So now let's move on to the rapid uh, fire section. Okay. So the first question is, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self starting in security and why? Well, I guess a couple of things there, right? Am, am I 25 now or am I 25 then? I guess we'll just go with 25 then. If I'm 25 <laughs> then and I'm telling myself that, first I would say, hey, information security is going to be its own thing because 25 years ago, that wasn't the case. It was just IT. And security was not understood independent from that in any way, shape, or form. It just wasn't a thing. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's definitely what I would tell my 25 year old self that, Hey, you're going to get, you're going to pursue a career in this at some point. And at some point, information security is going to become its own discipline. Um, and prepare for that because it's interesting and it's something that you'll enjoy. So that, that's what I would tell me uh, at 25 <laughs> or 25 years ago, whatever, the, whatever it is. Uh, I like that. So the next question is if you were a superhero of cybersecurity, which power would you choose to have in you? Um, I will I will sell myself out here and say mind control. Um, and the mind control powers I would use would be to make everybody understand what I actually do and 
have them be mentally encouraged to help me with that um, because security is uh, everybody's job. I know that sounds like such a tired trope, but it's so true mm -hmm. because right. you're not secure if your people are not performing securely. You're not secure if you don't know what technology you have in your environment. I mean, it's just, it's everything, right? So yeah, mm -hmm. I would, I would be what professor X or whatever. And I just <laughs> put on the helmet and I'm like, okay, guys, let's straighten up our thinking here. Cause we're, yeah. we're doing things that are very risky. So that's, that's what I do. So bringing awareness around security so that people pay more attention to it. I, I yeah. love that. Yeah, cor correcting the, the, the thought processes there, because that's kind of where it tends to derail, or at least where it starts to derail. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, the next one is, what's the biggest lie you have heard in cybersecurity? Um, not so much in cybersecurity, but about cybersecurity. Uh, I would say when people come up to me or people that work on my team and go, you guys make everything secure for us. And I'm like, Nope. Try again. I advise you on how you should be doing it. I do not have that locus of control. Um, generally, my joking response, although it's not really a joke, is awesome. I just became the boss of everybody and all decisions go through me. Fantastic. And they're like, oh, that's not what we meant. I'm like, no, no, that's what you meant. You just didn't know it. Uh, I'm here to identify and advise and consult on risk. That is why I'm here. And if you don't mm -hmm. understand that, I go back to my Professor X comment earlier, and you'd be surprised how many people truly do not understand that. Um, and it is a constant evangelization process that I undertake each and every day. Um, but yeah, it's I'm an advisor. I'm here to help. You know, so I, I go to my uh, LinkedIn titles, where the first one is the fake titles, but I like them, Risk Consigliere. <laughs> You know, this is mm -hmm. like the Godfather lawyer. That's, hey man, don't go to the mattresses. Don't go to war. You you have the decision. You will decide to go to war or not. I'm just advising you not to because the consequences are pretty bad. So. Yeah, uh, I I love that. Uh, yeah, most of the times there is that uh, uh, disconnect between the teams. So yeah, thank you so much for uh, adding that. And that's a uh, great way to end the episode as well. So. Thank you so much, uh, Garrett. It was very insightful uh, discussion. Uh, looking forward to lo uh, learn more from you in future. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And to our uh, viewers, thanks for watching. Uh, hope you have learned something new. If you have any questions around security, share those at scale20.com. We'll get those answered by an expert in the security space. See you in the next episode. Thank you.